about the time that my son turned 10 months old, I noticed that his daily daycare report was only listing one 30-minute nap a day. This makes no sense because no one in our house ever gets a full night of sleep. And we all really, really need a nap. So I asked his daycare workers, and they said, well, he never wants to sleep as long as any of the other kids are awake. He always wants to be doing what the other kids are doing. That checks out. Unless the other kids are sleeping. Because when all the other kids go to sleep, and he's the only one in the classroom still awake, my baby crawls to their cribs, pulls himself up, shakes the crib, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, until the entire class wakes up again. This is now my mental image when I read Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Those church members in Ephesus, they are just happily sleeping. And Paul sends a letter along that rattles the crib and shouts, da-da-da-da-da, or in the King James translation, awake thou that sleepest. Using this Awake Thou That Sleepest translation, in 1742, a young man named Charles Wesley preached a sermon at Oxford University. The sermon, Awake Thou That Sleepest, was later published by his brother John Wesley, and it became foundational for Methodist understandings of grace. So I want to read to us some of that sermon. Awake Thou That Sleepest. By sleep is signified the natural state of humankind, that deep sleep of the soul, that insensibility to their real condition, wherein every person comes into the world and continues till the voice of God awakens them. The poor unawakened sinner, how much knowledge soever they may have as to other things, has no knowledge of themselves. In this respect, they knoweth nothing yet as they ought to know. They know not that they are a fallen spirit, whose only business in the present world is to regain that image of God wherein they were created. They see no necessity for that inward universal change, that birth from above figured out by baptism, which is the beginning of that total renovation, that sanctification of spirit, soul, and body. Full of all diseases as they are, they fancy themselves in perfect health. Fast bound in misery and iron, they dream that they are happy and at liberty. By one who sleeps, we are therefore to understand one contented to remain in their fallen state, to live and die without the image of God. Wherefore, awake thou that sleepest and rise from the dead. God calleth thee now and bids thee know thyself, thou fallen spirit, thy true state and only concern below. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon thee, that thou perish not. A mighty tempest is stirred up round about thee, and thou art sinking. 
Awake, thou everlasting spirit, out of thy dream. Did not God create thee for God's self? Then thou canst not rest till thou restest in God. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Charles Wesley thus invites his listeners to wake up. And his brother, John Wesley, frames this call to wake up as an experience of grace. Our very knowledge of our need to wake up is itself a grace. The times when God calls our name over and over and we barely hear it, but something kind of pricks into our consciousness, that's a grace. How else could we know that we need to awaken? In Methodist tradition, we call this prevenient grace, the grace that goes before us. The grace that goes before us enables us to realize that we are not all that we have been created to be, that there is something missing, that we have been asleep to some big truth. And this truth, once we wake up to it, it will not leave us the same. Once we wake up, we are called out of our coffins and into the light. In 2014, Debbie Irving wrote a book called Waking Up White and Finding Myself in the Story of Race. Irving compared her racial awakening to coming out of a deep slumber. Pretending to be colorblind, to be outside of race, to be just human. These were the ways that she had been asleep to her identity as a white person in America. And so she awoke to discover her white privilege, her white fragility, her long-denied and buried racism. And then once awoken, she couldn't pretend to still be asleep. She couldn't just keep acting in the same way. She had to get out of the coffin of colorblindness. She had to arise from the dead. And now awake, her life was going to change. People coming into sexual and gender identities sometimes have a similar waking up process. The world has expectations of what it means to be male or female or heterosexual. And waking up to something different can take a really long time. The scripts that society hands us can keep us asleep. And these scripts include finding a good job, that makes lots of money, joining a profession that our parents want us to, falling in love is a script, buying a new car, sending our kids to the so-called best schools, living with untreated depression, drinking a nightcap or two every night before bed. Sometimes these are scripts that are handed to us that we live into without thinking about, without choosing consciously. We live into these scripts and we live into the default. And that can sometimes mean that we're asleep. Our default setting is to keep going exactly the way things have always been. Or the way society wants us to. The default is to think, well, I'm a good person. And never examine the deeper messages that shape us and shape our communities. And if you're sitting here today and thinking, well, there's nothing I need to wake up to, then I'm sorry to break it to you, but there is. 
I have no idea what it is, but there's always something. We're always asleep to something in our lives, and it is only by God's grace that we can begin to wake up, begin to be aware of something more, and begin to live out that truth. And that's grace. Encountering the gospel messes up our ideas that we've got in everything under control. Through the gospel, God calls us to wake up to what God is already doing inside of us and around us. And we each need to ask, what is it in my life that I need to wake up to? How is God already moving? And how is this already a grace? Waking up can look like hitting rock bottom. It's the point where you can't lie to yourself anymore. You reach out for help. You go to that first 12-step meeting. You tell someone else what's going on. It is very, very human to be in denial. It is very, very holy to wake up out of slumber. Paul writes, You groped your way through the murk. You stumbled around. You wasted your time on useless work, empty pursuits. You waste your life in the closet. Rip the cover off. Expose any shams. Get out in the open where the bright light of Christ will make your life plain. Do the good, the right, the true. Watch what God does and then do it. Love like Jesus loves you. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. And that final line, wake up from your sleep, or awake thou that sleepest, or da-da-da-da, this might be quoting from early baptismal liturgies. When Paul says these words, when he writes these words to the church at Ephesus, Paul might be reminding them of the grace that they already know, that at the time of their baptism, someone said over them, awake thou that sleepest. They already know this grace. And Paul is now calling them to live into the wide-awake lives, the lives of the baptized. When we live in denial, when we live in the closet, when we live unexamined lives, we are asleep to all the potential of who God has created us to be. The life of faith is a life of waking up, a life of discovery, God continually calls us out of what we think we know and into the future. And this waking up is only by God's grace. Ultimately, we can't wake ourselves up, and we can't wake anybody else up either. It's not as easy as just going around and rattling other people's cribs. We can't yell, da-da-da-da-da-da, and hope that the sleeping world hears. The only way for us to live in a wide-awake world is for us to live wide-awake lives ourselves. We can continually seek to wake up, continually listen for the voice of God. And when we live wide-awake lives, when we are true to the God who calls us by name, even when it takes an awfully long time to get there, we live the kind of transformed and authentic life that invites others to experience the same. It's living into our baptismal life. Awake, thou that sleepest, 
awake, awake, and Christ will give you light. Amen.